Amen. Stand with me, if you will, all over the place. We're going to turn to the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to read Habakkuk 2 and 2 and Acts 2 beginning with 42. Now let me say this tonight. I want to give special appreciation. And I know that some are not here due to outside circumstances and they've already contacted me. But I want you to know as a church, and you probably know this already, but this church board did not take this lightly. They didn't. I was able to meet uh, Saturday evening with the board. And from the very moment I walked through the door, they were absolutely gracious. And I felt such a wonderful spirit. Uh, that was also the first time I had met Brother Story. But I want you to know that these men prayed and sought God. They didn't just take this lightly. And I think we need to give these men a, a, just an appreciation. And we'll do this again when they're all here. Because they, they took this very seriously. And I honor them for that. Because I told the Lord, Lord, I don't care what the church looks like. I don't care how many people it has. If I have to work a job, if it's the will of God, I want to be there. If it's not the will of God, I'm running from it. I want to be in the perfect will of God. And these men sought the Lord. I give them high honor tonight. Habakkuk chapter 2. Bible says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. Write the vision or the plan and make it plain. Write the plan and make it plain. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Write the vision. Write the plan and make it plain. I want to preach tonight on this first service, the plan made plain. The plan made plain. Father, thank you for the work of the Holy Ghost that's active in this church Thank you, Lord, for those that are here tonight and those that are coming in the future. I pray, Lord, you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say in the church tonight, Lord. And bless this time together in Jesus' name. Can we clap our hands unto the Lord all over the building? Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Lord bless you as you're being seated tonight. The plan made Plain. The Word of God is timeless. It transcends human understanding. It transcends time. It's more than a history book. It's more than 
poetry or biographical information, but woven throughout the pages of this book that we hold in our hands known as the Bible is God's master plan, one in which God beautifully brings forth his bride, which is the church. The parallel is drawn in the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, when he says, Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners? This particular verse is talking about the prophetic church. It's talking about what would be and now is. It says, It is fair as the moon. One thing I know about the moon is that the moon shines regardless of what the world's doing. The moon shines regardless of what what storms may be brewing. But the moon just keeps shining. And the church, regardless of how bad the world's getting, the church is just going to keep on being the church. It's just going to keep on shining. It's going to keep on showing the, the power of God in a dark land. It's said that the church is clear as the sun. We've never been more clear as a church on doctrine and where we stand than we are right now. Men have navigated this word and rightly divided this word through prayer and fasting. And we hold in our hands a revelation, the oneness of God, a revelation of salvation according to Acts 2.38 and how we're to live. We're, we're where the church is clear on where we are. Then it says that it's terrible as an army with banners. What this is actually indicating, banners indicated victories. What it's saying is the church is a victorious church. My friend, one thing that you have to remember, God's going to have a church. And it doesn't matter what everybody else does, God says there's going to be a remnant of grace. And we're a part of that remnant of grace tonight, the church of the living God. I am convinced of this thing, that the world at its worst needs the church at its best. I'm glad tonight that I'm not in a a past or, or a weak, defeated church. But this is God's church. And he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. My friend, the church is not where we go, but the church is who we are. You can go only on the other side of the world, and you're still a part of the church. We've got to have a clear understanding of purpose and identity. Amos 6 and 1 says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. The reason they lost their purpose is because they lost their identity. When you understand who you are, then purpose follows passion. But when you don't realize or you fail to realize who you really are, then it compromises your purpose. And I'm here tonight simply to cleanse the lens and to realign our focus on who we are and where we're going. Habakkuk said, write the vision and make it plain. The vision, the plan. God always has a plan. This book is a blueprint. It's a plan. And because God operates according to order, 
He did not establish his church and expect us just to figure it out on our own. But if you notice how God established the church, first he came himself and he chose the disciples and he was a hands-on example of how to operate in the spirit, of how to speak the word of faith, how to preach and how to touch people. And he said, I'm going to do it. Then you 12, you're going to do it. And then those 12 are going to affect other people. And then it's going to go all the way around the world. He had a plan. He had a purpose. And he set an example. And the book of Acts gives us an example of how to be the church. Now, as I sought God for this service tonight, what he simply did was realign my vision with the book of Acts. You see, sitting out there, you view church looking at a pulpit. But I'm not going to preach from that viewpoint tonight. I'm going to tell you what it's like looking from this pulpit looking out here. Because what I'm looking at is I'm looking at the church. I'm looking at God's people. I'm looking at those people that have been living for God faithfully. You know the first thing I see when I look out from this pulpit? I see a praying church. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, And they continued, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Paul said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When I walked in that prayer room on Sunday morning, I stepped right in the middle of a group of people that knew what it's like to get a hold of God. My friend, the one thing that brought us here and the one thing that's going to get us where God is trying to take us is going to be prayer. It's not going to be singing. It's not going to be programs. It's not going to be anything but people that know how to pray. And I'm looking at prayer warriors. I'm looking at intercessors. I'm looking at a praying church. You are praying people. And that's what God wants. That's part of the plan is prayer. I've walked in, into revivals before, and they expect an evangelist to come in here and open up a, a briefcase, and we're going to have 100 people walking here. Never happened in my whole ministry. Didn't happen. We pray people through. I don't have any special tricks. I walked in those same churches and saw two people in a prayer room, barely could hear them praying. I'm glad they were there. I thought to myself, you want to pray 100 people through, we better start with 100 saints. Because how can we expect new people to come in if we're not where we need to be living for God ourselves? If we're not praying, you're a praying church. You keep on praying. You keep on worshiping. You keep on. It was told, it was prophesied in the Azusa Street that there would come a day when they would praise a God they would not pray to. And I'm afraid that I've been in some of those churches where they pray. They did a whole lot of praising. They didn't do a whole lot of praying. And I know that we cannot measure a person's prayer life 
by whether or not they make the prayer room. Now, let me just, I'm going to tell you right from the get-go how I feel about a prayer room. I feel it's a great asset to a church. But here's what I don't like about a prayer room. We judge spirituality by who's in the prayer room. Now, if you can make it there, I want you to go there. I will be there every time I can. But if all a person's praying is at the prayer room on Sunday and Wednesday, there's a bigger problem than going to the prayer room. We're going. The heart has to be right. It's not a prayer room issue; it's a heart issue. I'd rather. I I told my youth group, I'd rather. I'd rather you pray five minutes seven days a week than thirty-five minutes one day a week. Because it's consistency, it's relationship. If I talk to my wife on Sunday only, that wouldn't be that good of a relationship. Consistency. Pray. Pray without ceasing. You know what else I see? I see a supernatural church. Because I know when there's, this, then there's that kind of prayer that charges this, this atmosphere. The Bible says in verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. God's method of evangelism was never programs. It wasn't even great preaching. God's method of evangelism, you read the book of Acts and you read the Gospels, what attracted people to God was miracles, signs, and wonders. And that's not the result of just one person operating in the gifts. That's the result of people that pray and people that have faith. In fact, when Jesus commissioned them in Mark 16 and told them that these signs shall follow them that believe, the Bible says in verse 20, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. There's two dimensions to every service. There is declaration That's what man does. We declare the word of God. But then there has to be the second dimension, which is the super to the natural, and that is the dimension of demonstration. That's where God says, all right, you've declared it. Now I'm going to demonstrate it. If I tell you that people get the Holy Ghost and you never see it, then you're going to doubt. But if I tell you that God will fill you with the Holy Ghost and you come up here and God fills you with the Holy Ghost, then it erases all doubt in your mind. You know, they will argue theology, but you cannot argue a healing or a miracle. You cannot argue somebody getting out of a wheelchair. You cannot argue cancer being healed. I'm looking at a supernatural church that believes in miracles, signs, and wonders. I remember I was preaching in Lufkin, Texas. We had a man, when we first started revival, we had a man come down and one of the Holy Ghost, and I don't know if he had it one time, but we prayed him back through, but I couldn't even hear him speak. He was barely whispering. And when music's going on and, and people are praying, it's really hard to hear somebody when they're just whispering. But we prayed for him, he was renewed in the Holy Ghost. A few days later, he got baptized in Jesus' name. And I found out that this gentleman had cancer in the lymph nodes in his neck. And somehow, it had messed up excuse me, his vocal cords. And he, couldn't, he could barely whisper. That was doing all he could do. Well, we were going to shut down the revival. But I felt like in my spirit, I said, Lord, I, I just really feel like we're supposed to keep going. But, you know, as an evangelist, you don't tell a pastor, hey, I'm going to be here two months, okay? You don't do that. So I said, Lord, if it's your will, and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to stay here, 
Something's got to happen, Lord. I don't know what's going to happen, but something's got to happen. And on the day we were closing the revival, I got a phone call. That man had went to the doctor, and he had all his cancer tests done again. And the doctor said, sir, it looks like we can repair your vocal cords now because there's no cancer in your body. I, be, I just believe when he went down in that water in Jesus' name, God said, I'm going to make all things new. And God took all that cancer out. I'm talking about supernatural works that happen in the kingdom of God. And you've got your own miracles that you've seen. You've got your own testimonies. That's all a part of God's plan for his church. Next thing I see is I see a unified church. Acts 2.44, and all that believe were together and had all things common. Paul admonished us in Ephesians 4 and 3 to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is a united church. This is a united church. Spirit of unity here. And, and, and we're going to keep that. But let me just tell you this. One thing I've, I've lived long enough to learn. You can have a spirit of unity without all agreeing. Disagreement is not sin. Discord is. Everybody disagrees. I, I heard a guy tell me one time, if I ever own a restaurant, I'm going to name it, I don't care. Because when you ask somebody where they want to go, they always say, I don't care. We'll go to, we'll go to I don't care. I remember one time my dad, when I was hooking up a trailer, I grew up mowing lawns and all that stuff, so we always hooked up a trailer. But when I became uh, married and, and grew up a little bit, one day I was, I was hooking up that trailer, and my dad said, no, son, you're doing it wrong. And I said, am I doing it wrong or am I doing it different? Because if I'm doing it different, it may not be wrong. If I'm doing it wrong, tell me how to do it right. But if I'm doing it different, that don't mean I'm wrong. And people think just because you don't cook ham their way that you're not cooking the ham the right way. You could have a spirit of unity and not all agree on something. But the spirit of unity will prevail because we have the common goal in sight, which is we're having revival. We're having a move of God. We're keeping our eyes on what matters. Spirit of unity. Spirit of unity. I also see a giving church. Acts 2.45, And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. God loves a cheerful giver, not a fearful giver. You know, people say, well, if I, if I ever hit the lottery, I'm going to give to the church. It's one thing when it's in your plans. It's another thing when it's in your palm. And it's one thing to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But when you're holding it, when Hannah said, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give them to you. But when she got the child, she loaned him to the Lord. There's a difference. 
One thing that you're going to find out real quick, and I know this is a given church. You wouldn't have the, the, the campus that you have if you weren't a given church. But one thing that my wife and I, we believe in more than anything, is we believe in giving. We believe in missions, home missions, North American missions, foreign missions. Give. We can, I promise you this, the, mother, the health of the mother church is, the, is first and foremost. I promise you that. I promise you that. But I, there will be times as the Spirit leads that we're going to give. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. You're going to hear me say that because I'm forgetting right now. There was a time when I first started evangelizing. I wouldn't preach the revival. I made hardly anything for a three-day revival. I mean, I made, I, I, I hardly made anything. And fear struck my soul. Because I had a wife, and at the time, three kids. And it wasn't even enough to make it just a few days with groceries and gas. And it was going to be at least another week till I had a place to preach. And I, I remember flying back, and I, and I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, we'd only been on the field just a couple of months. We didn't have very many places to preach at the time. And I said, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Then the next revival I was supposed to go to canceled. Lord, I really don't know what I'm going to do. Somebody called and asked me to come. And I said, all right, Lord. We went over there. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, sitting on that platform knowing I didn't have two pennies to rub together. And the Lord moved upon that pastor. And he got up there and he said, I, I know tonight, today is Mission Sunday. He said, I just feel something. He said, everything in the offering today except the tithing is going to, to the missionary. I mean, to the evangelist. And I just, tears welled up in my eyes. And that man, just a few weeks later, they handed me a check for $4,000. And God told me, he said, I will always take care of you. I, I, it may happen one day where the Spirit moves in this place and, I, and the Lord prompts me to do that. And I'm looking at a church that I know is going to obey the Holy Ghost. You're a given church. I promise you, I will not abuse you, you precious people. But I know this. I know a pastor told me one time, he, uh, a man took up an offering for the church. And he said, I felt so bad I gave all those people. He said, I gave them all their money back. He said, I gave the whole church all their money back. And the Lord convicted him. And the Lord told him, you robbed every one of those people of the blessings I was trying to give in their life. He said, so the next time it happened, I, I, we kept the money at the church. In fact, the next time it happened, I went through there. And the Lord, and seven, seven times in seven years, the Lord spoke to me to preach on the spirit of sacrifice. I only did it when the Lord spoke to me. But I saw miracles. This last time was in May at church in Louisiana on a Sunday night. And I just told them we're going to take up an offering. And I gave them two weeks to turn it in. $200,000 from a Sunday night offering. And the miracles started pouring in. Because if people respond to the Spirit, it happens. It, it's, all, it's a spirit of giving. And I'm looking at people that I believe have that spirit. Second, The next thing I see is I see a loving church. Acts 2.46, and they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were, they were full of love. The, the church, one thing my wife and I noticed, 
We came here on Sunday. We, we just kind of had a feeling that we would see you on Wednesday, but we don't want to get our hopes up. But one thing we noticed was the love that we felt here. Everybody needs to feel that love when they come through those doors. Everybody needs to feel the love of Christ. Everybody. What I've noticed about people is they're not so worried about whether or not we have all the answers. As much as they are, can you love me? Can you love my family? We don't have to answer everybody's questions. We can love them. The church is not made up of people better than anybody else. It's made up of people who are, are trying to be better than they once were. We're not better than anybody. Everybody needs this. Everybody needs to feel that love. Love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one toward another. Now, I can have love for you without having love towards you. I can see Brother Chase driving down the road, and he's on the side of the road, and he's got the hood up and the, the gas tank, and I can drive right by him, wave at him, and I have love for him. I love you. But you know what? If I have love toward him, it's an outward display of, a, of an inner love. Because when you have love toward somebody, it's always evident. Now, I, I'm not so naive to think that everybody under a steeple will get along. If you was a jerk before the Holy Ghost, you're probably going to be a jerk after the Holy Ghost. That's, the Holy Ghost don't change your personality and make you perfect. There's some people I learned, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you across the church. Okay? I'm not, people are people. I've been hurt more by church people than by worldly people any day. People are people. But we can still love everybody. Everybody. And people are going to come through those doors, and the only thing they want is love. And you just sat on up next to them, put your arm around them, and you let them feel that love that's in you. Finally. No, not finally. Semi-finally. I see a praising church. They said... Acts 2.47, they were praising God. I see a group of people, you displayed it on Sunday night, you displayed it tonight, that you love to worship. You love to praise. You love to get lost in the spirit of worship and praise. That's why David said, let us magnify the Lord together and let us exalt his name. Here's what I love about worship. is We may not all be able to do the same thing, but we can all do something. You know, if there was a certain standard that defined worship, you had to run this fast, I'd be out. If you had to jump this high, you had to twirl this many times, then it would eliminate a lot of people that are physically handicapped, maybe older, or maybe just that's not their thing. But you know what? He set the bar so low that everybody could be a worshiper. Because worship is a connection in the spirit. It's not how fast you run. It's not how high you jump or how many times you could twirl. It's, it's about, I've seen people sitting on their seat with just their hands lifted like this, and I knew they were connected with God in worship. It's about connecting with God in the Spirit. It's about just you and the Lord getting together and worshiping. There's some people physically not able to run, but that don't mean they can't worship. Everybody can worship. 
Everybody can praise. We're a praising church. Finally, I see a revival church. If it's one word I heard associated with Wallace Ridge, from the very person that told me about it from the first time, every time anybody said Wallace Ridge, they always said this, that's a revival church. Without fail, everybody that said Wallace Reed said that's a revival church. And you know what? We're going to keep on being a revival church. We're going to keep on seeing souls saved. That's who we are. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Only God sends revival. Churches do go through ebbs and flow. I, um, I understand that. The gifting God gave me, I was not what I would consider a harvester. I didn't go in and, and pray through 200 people or 100 people. That was not my gifting. But the Lord showed me my gifting when I first started. He said, Tyler, you're going to go into, serve, into churches, and you're gonna, I'm going to show you things, and you're going to preach things that the pastor cannot preach because they have too much knowledge. He said, but I'm going to show you those things, and you can preach them because nobody can accuse you of knowing too much about the church. So when I would go into revivals, I would go to prayer, and the Lord would show me what needed to be dealt with, and we would deal with it. And by the time I left, church was ready for revival. There's going to be men coming here. God's going to show them things. I promise you this. I'm not going to talk about this church. If a man comes to this pulpit and says the Lord told him, you better rest assured the Lord told him because I don't, I'm not going to talk church business. Nobody did it to me, and I'm not going to do it to anybody else. I want an unfettered pulpit. I want God to speak into your lives. I want God to have his way and have revival. Stand with me all over this building tonight. So what do we do as the musicians come? What do we do once we hear the plan? I told you the plan. I told you the vision. We're going to be a praying church. We're going to be a supernatural church. We're going to be a unified church, a giving church, a loving church, a worshiping church, and a revival church. We know the vision. So what do we do? This is what he said. Write the vision. Express the vision. Make it plain. That's what I did tonight. The plan made plain. But then there's your responsibility. That he may run that readeth it. Once you get a hold of it, you run with it. You move forward with it. Next year, you run with it. You keep the vision at the forefront. Every time you come to the house of God, you remind, you remind yourself, this is who we are. We're a revival church. We're a worshiping church. We're a praying church. We're a loving church. We're a giving church. We're a supernatural church. So my question to you tonight is who's going to run with it? Who's going to run? Who's going to be the one that says, you know what? I'm going to buy into that thing. I'm going to buy into that vision. It's the book of Acts. That's who we are. The book of Acts is not over. It's still alive. It's our identity. We have the same power and the same spirit. And God wants to use every person in this church. He don't, he don't have to use you the same way. But he'll use every person that will make themselves available in the kingdom of God. 
I want to see what God wants to do in your life. I want to see what God wants to do in your family, in your kids, in your community, in your jobs. How about it? Why don't you step out of your pew all over? If you're going to run with it, why don't we make our way to this altar and raise our hands and say, Lord, I want you to use me however you want to use me in the kingdom of God.